Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship. To find info on our speaker and series, please check the podcast description. Thanks for listening, and enjoy! Um, well, last week I was sharing about our Exodus journey, which was supposed to be the um, following the nation of Israel out of Egypt and into the Promised Land, but as I shared, it became the Exodus out of Israel for us. Now, if you missed that last Sunday, you want to watch it, you can go online today. Uh, it's our online service today. So sardisfellowship.com, you can watch it if you want. But that's not really where I'm wanting to spend any time today. What I want to say is I forgot a, an important piece of information, a, a detail in our family. So we were in our hotel at the Dead Sea, and uh, we had just heard that there was this attack on Israel and that Israel was officially going to war against Gaza. And while we were in our hotel room, our son sends us these photos. This is our son, Brendan. He preached here this summer. Do you see what that hand is in the front there? That's right. Him and Megan got engaged um, on the Thanksgiving weekend and are getting married on June 1st. And so if you've been keeping up with some of our Heppel family announcement, our daughter is getting married on May 11th and our son is getting married on June 1st. Pray for us. Lotto 649, come on. Just kidding. Don't send me an email. So, as was stated, uh, we're into a new sermon series starting today, and it's called Sharing the Gospel. If someone was to tell you why you should go fishing and they describe for you what all is involved, you might conclude that it's not really worth it. You might think it takes up too much time, it costs too much money, you go early in the morning. It's probably cold, and you might be thinking, it's just not worth it. Until, of course, you catch a fish. I can remember when I was about eight years old, our family was up at Penus Lake near Falkland, BC, and my dad had taken us out fishing. He had told us the night before about how exciting it was to go fishing. The early morning, we were out there, the mist, I can still see it, the mist over the water, the sun just barely waking up. I was not. I was tired, I was cold, and I was wondering why I was there. But I knew why I was there. My dad made me. (laughs) He told me it was so much fun, but so far I wasn't very convinced. But then it happened. A rainbow trout bit my hook and bent my rod. (laughs) I was so excited. He's yelling at me, reel! And I'm like, I am, I'm trying. But you know, I'm reeling forward, I'm reeling backwards. I didn't know which way to reel. But I hooked the thing. And then I I, I saw how beautiful it was because my dad got the net and he picked it up, and I can still picture that, that trout. And I was excited. Now, I was hooked, right? Because this was an exciting moment. Now, the reason why I tell you this is because you can talk about how exciting it is all you want. You can try to get someone else to feel the experience that you've had when you've been fishing, but until they themselves experience it, they won't really quite know what it's like. But once they do, you'll want to go fishing again. Jesus was the one who used fishing as an analogy for sharing your faith, sharing the gospel. He said to those first disciples, who were fishermen, I will make you fishers of men. Kind of a play on words there, right? In the NIV, it says like this. He said, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. As if to say, if catching fish excites you for a livelihood, wait until you see people's lives changed because you have told them about me. And that's what Jesus was inviting them into, to be a part of that process. Why? 
Because the greatest experience anyone can have in this life is to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to enter into God's family, which we were singing about, in my Father's house there is a place for you. Eternal life for God so loved the world he gave his only son. The analogy of catching a fish illustrates the excitement that comes when a person actually comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, where they trust in him. But it's also part of the experience of the person who's taken the time to direct them to Jesus. They too share in that excitement of that person coming to faith in Christ. When Nick Foles, the quarterback of the Philadelphia Eagles, won a playoff game that led to them going to the Super Bowl, this is 2018, which they eventually won, he was asked by a reporter after that game, is this the greatest day of your life? To which he replied without hesitation, no, that day belongs to Jesus. But this is a great one. I just thought that was such a great answer. Why did he answer that way? Because he knew it was true. There is nothing greater than the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ or the day you realize the love of God for you, that he has been seeking you as one of his lost sheep. Back in 2010, more or less, Jason and Jen Bartha began to attend our church with their family. And Jason had grown up in a church background, but Jen had not. When she came to the worship services here on Sunday mornings, the Holy Spirit was convicting her. The Holy Spirit was teaching her. The Holy Spirit was showing her things about not only her own life, about also this wonderful gift of eternal life that Jesus was offering her, this abundant life. She said that the songs wrecked her. I couldn't stop crying, she said, because the words were so powerful. And the pastor's message, how is it that he knows about me? How come the messages that he is speaking seem to be speaking right directly to me? Like somebody who knows my heart and he knows my life and he knows my story. So I met with Jason and Jen in my office and I walked them through an understanding of what God was doing in Jen's life. I decided to take her through what was called the Romans Road. Maybe you've heard of it. It's a series of verses taken through Romans where you start in chapter 3 and then chapter 5 and then chapter 6 and then chapter 9, 10. Um, and, And you just lay out the gospel message. And so it's called the Romans Road. And so we started with Romans 3.23 that says, for all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. We've missed the mark of God's holiness. And she goes, yep, that's me. <laughs> she knew it. And then I, I shared with her about the fact that God has demonstrated his love for us even while we're still sinners. Wow, I was blown away by that. And then I shared with her about the fact that um, the wage of our, of our sin actually equates to death. But there's good news here. The gift of God, it, it's a gift from God through his son, Jesus Christ. It's eternal life and it's ours found in Christ. She's blown away by that. And then I shared with her Romans 10 verse 9, which says if you believe in your heart that that Christ has been raised from the dead and and you confess him as your Lord, you will be saved. There's no doubt there. It's not like you got a 50-50 chance or maybe you'll be saved. You shall be saved. With tears in her eyes, we prayed together a prayer reflecting her heart for wanting to trust in Jesus Christ. And if you know Jen, you know the joy of Jesus that flows out from her. Now, I can describe for you that situation, and I can tell you the feelings that went along with it that were pretty amazing. But once you experience it for yourself, you'll want to go fishing. You'll know that this is something that I would want God to use me to be a part of again. So today we're beginning this new sermon series, which are going to run for six weeks, but it's simply just called Sharing the Gospel. This is not... The only, I'm not choosing this title just because it's one of our stated values at Sardis Fellowship. I'm choosing it because I think it's pretty central to what the outworking of our faith is. That when a person comes to understand that Christ has said, come follow me, he also says, and I will make you fishers of people. 
right? So this is really central to our faith, not just a value statement that we have. So today's message is focusing on two questions. What is the gospel and why is it worth sharing? The word gospel simply means good news. That's easy enough to understand. It makes us kind of wonder why we put the word gospel in there. Why don't we just stick with good news? It's a little less confusing. And if you want to do that, you can. The good news of Jesus Christ. It's actually rooted in a political um, environment or a political nature whereby someone would proclaim the good news about an empire or a king who had gone out to battle and won victories and therefore there would be riches for the people and they'd be better off because of this. And they kind of looked up to this king as their savior in a sense. And so that's kind of the backdrop of how the word was originally used when the gospels were coming along. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now this word uh, is a Greek word um, transliterated evangelio or evangelion which we get our words evangelist or evangelical from. Uh, You might not know this, but as a Fellowship Baptist Church, we are part of the evangelical movement, which simply means that we believe in the gospel. We believe in the good news of Jesus Christ, and we don't want to stray from that. We don't want to stray from the emphasis that is centered right in on Jesus Christ as our Savior and Lord. And that's why we carry the term evangelical. As a noun... It means the message, but as a verb, it means to proclaim, to proclaim this message. And so Jesus himself said, I must proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, because that is why I was sent. And I don't have that verse in front of you there, so I apologize. So Jesus is proclaiming this good news, which actually he is that good news about the kingdom of God. You know, when it's good news, you want to share it with others. You don't want to keep it to yourself. Oh, there's the verse. When you hear good news, you pass it along. And I got this news sent to me yesterday from my South African friends who were celebrating big time that at the, South, or at the World Cup, uh, Rugby World Cup, that the South African country won the Springboks. My team, by the way. They've told me this for about four months now. This is your team. My team. But while it's good news, it's also bad news because Ezra Foster is here this morning. And, um, well, his country, New Zealand, lost to South Africa. So, I don't know. You tell good news and you tell bad news. But I heard the good news before I heard the bad news. Ezra, I apologize for that. But when you hear good news, by nature of the fact that it's good news, you begin to share it. And so, built right into this whole idea of what good news is, is this idea of proclaiming it, of sharing it, of giving it away and not just keeping it to yourself. So what's the good news about the good news? And that's where I want us to look today. I think we know this message well, but it's good to review, right? It's good for us to kind of review the truth of what we really believe and stir our hearts again and ask God to use us for his purposes. And so I'm going to cover some probably basic information. Unless you're new to the Christian faith and you don't know this yet, then good. This is for you. I want you to follow and learn and understand. The good news about the good news is that there is a living God who created everything in the universe. But it doesn't stop there. He's a God who loves. He's a God who's defined by love. He's a God who pursues us in his love. He loves so much that he came to this earth in the form of a man in the person of Jesus Christ in order to save us. As C.S. Lewis said many times, the greatest miracle is the incarnation. That God would come in human form and out of that flows all other miracles including the resurrection. Don't miss the miracle of the incarnation that God came in human form. 
And so the gospel story begins with the angels announcing to those shepherds at the birth of Christ, do not be afraid, I bring you good news, gospel, proclamation, that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. They got it right. They are proclaiming, just like someone would proclaim about some kind of a victory of a king or an empire, they're saying... The king is here. He is the savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Lord. They got it right. And they're proclaiming this as good news. The angels know that he is the one who sits on the throne. And he is the one that is to be worshipped. The only one that is to be worshipped. We share the good news because the greatest experience that anyone can have in this life is to put their faith in Jesus Christ and to enter into God's family. And it starts with this announcement of this good news. Now, the reason why we're going to take six weeks to talk about it is because even though it might be something we understand in our heads and we celebrate in our hearts, it can be hard to share with other people. Have you found that? Sharing the gospel is not easy because sometimes it's hard to understand exactly how to turn the message. Sometimes it's hard to live it out. And if we're not living it out, then we don't feel like we have any motivation to share it with anyone. If there's sin in our lives, it hampers us from ever wanting to share it with anyone else because we know that we're still in that sin. And so understanding the message, living it faithfully, and then knowing exactly what my role is in in this. God, what is it that you want me to do? What is my part? How much of this am I to do or say, right? And, And so we struggle with sharing our faith, and that's completely fair. There have been many times in my own life where I've been in meaningful conversations with a friend Um, or someone I've met, and I feel like, man, I have an opportunity here to just take it one step further and share with them about Jesus, and I don't. Why not? Why do we stop shy of mentioning that it's Christ? There's something there that we struggle with, and I want to be real about that. That's why we're going to take the next few weeks to look at this topic and uh, understand what is it that God is asking of us. But I know that whenever we begin to talk about sharing the gospel or evangelism or reaching out or outreach or whatever the terminology is, people start to get a little bit nervous. They think the pastor's going to go all radical and make them go out and do street evangelism. Not in week one. Come on. (laughs) But my job is not to give you another job. It's not to pressure you or make you feel guilty or obligated to do something. That's not what my role is as a pastor who is to equip you. My role is one to bring to your attention a reminder of who God is in your life, a reminder of what he has done in your life, and then encourage you to prayerfully consider what is it that God might be saying to you that he wants you to be involved in when it comes to sharing the gospel. Do you follow? So everyone relax, it's okay. We're not all going down to five corners after church today. Maybe you are. But it's seeking God for what he wants your role in the process to be. Because it's not always the same. It might be a praying role. It might be a speaking role. It might be an act of love role. There is a time to pray. There is a time to speak. And there is a time to act. And we need to follow the Holy Spirit's leading in each conversation, in each relationship. Because sometimes if we're not in step with the Holy Spirit, I shouldn't say sometimes, whenever we're not in step with the Holy Spirit, we can overstep or we can understep. 
we can overstep in thinking, yeah, it's my job just to hammer them. And there's no love. There's no relationship. And the person just bristles from your message. And then there's another time when we should be using our words, as I already shared, and often aren't. I believe that for most of us, the pieces of this is is already in place. This should not be that scary for this reason. Because I think most of us who have been a part of Sardis Fellowship, those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Lord, you know the message. You know who he is. You know that this is about Jesus. Not only that, you're living it. And that truth reflects your life. And you also have family, friends, neighbors, and co-workers who don't know Jesus. So you are out there. You are engaged with people. They're all around you. You're meeting them. So you've got all those pieces in place. And maybe you're even a person who's praying for a person to come to know Jesus. So that's a lot of the pieces that are necessary in order to be sharing the gospel. They're already there. The question I'm asking is, what's missing? And that's what I want us to hear from God over the course of the next few weeks. What's missing and what God would have me to do to connect the dots between how I'm living my life, how I'm looking at other people, and what he would want of me in those relationships. Back in the early 1990s, I was serving in my home church as a youth director, much like what Richard does in our church. And we had a guy named Bill Clem. He was hired by our denomination to help us young youth pastors understand how to be effective in youth ministry and how, how to grow a youth ministry. And one of the things he was challenging us to do was to have a very clear purpose in our mind as to why you gathered. So if you gathered multiple times in a week, what was the purpose as to why you were gathering each time? Because for sometimes it might be for fellowship and connection, and for other times it might be for learning and growing, right? For other times it might be for service or for outreach. What are you aiming at? That's what he would say. So he gave us an example. He said, if you're having an outreach night, two things have to happen. One, there has to be um, someone who presents how a person could know Jesus Christ. There needs to be some explanation of some type that's given about who God is and how he desires to be in relationship with us through faith in Christ. The second thing that has to happen is that people who don't know Christ need to be present. You need those two pieces. He says, if you have an outreach event and no one shows up who doesn't know the Lord, that's fine. It's just a fellowship night, a connection night. That's fine, but it's not an outreach night. Conversely, you can have your entire high school show up to your big I don't know, fall harvest, Halloween party, and you can have 200 students come out. And that's amazing. But if you haven't presented to them how it is that they can know God, how that is that they can know who God is and how they can know God personally, if you haven't brought that together, then nor is that an outreach night. And I don't know what your life looks like more. Maybe you're the kind of person who has lots of connections, You know, you're going to work, you're going to school, you're in your neighborhood, you know the people that live next door and all that kind of stuff. You go to the gym. Wherever you're going, you're meeting people and you're a friendly person and you're a nice person and people know that you're really nice. But do they know where your niceness comes from? Do they know that that is Jesus in you shining out? Conversely, you could have a person who knows the gospel really well, who um, has a grasp of the knowledge of what this message is, all the facets to it but their lives aren't connecting with anyone else. So neither of those two examples are really completing what it is that Christ would want for every one of us, which is to take what we know to be true about God and our relationship to him and how we know him and bring that into our conversation and into our lives with other people. And those two need to intersect. And that's what this series is going to be looking at. So as we go through this series, I'm wanting you to wrestle with God about which dots need to be connected for you. And I'll just put it there as a question. 
what are the dots that you need to connect? Because all of our scenarios look different. We're not all the same. Maybe we struggle with certain things that are similar with other people, but um, each person is unique and your scenario is unique. I don't know what it is that God wants you to learn through this series, but for sure, he has something for all of us to connect dots on as it comes to sharing the gospel. I want to give a biblical example of the Apostle Paul. Well known, I, I know most of us here have heard his name and probably know his story. I'll give a little summary. Um, Paul was zealous for God and for the law. He was Jewish. And he saw that there was this new sect, these Christ followers who were, in his mind, parting from the truth and buying a lie. So he was trying to stamp this new group out before it really started to blossom. This group was called The Way. These are followers of Jesus Christ. He was so committed to this cause that he even obtained letters from the authorities in his religious group to be able to go into other cities and to those synagogues and be able to find people of the way and then either imprison them uh, or persecute them. He was on the road to Damascus when all this changed because he met the resurrected Jesus. And this is how the story goes. As he neared Damascus on his journey, journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could, not, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand to Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink, drink anything. I'll skip some of the story. There's a servant of the Lord, a disciple. His name is Ananias. Uh, Ananias. And uh, the Lord speaks to Ananias and says, I want you to go and meet my servant, Paul. And Ananias is a little hesitant about this because he has heard about Paul. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim. To proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, note that the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach, to proclaim, to share in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. I hope you're tracking my emphasis here. He became a gospel person. He became a good news proclaimer. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah the anointed one, the king. Paul was not so much converted to Christianity as he was convinced of the fulfillment of the promise of God to the nation of Israel that the Messiah had come and that Messiah was none other than Jesus Christ. That was Paul's experience, was being convinced of the fulfillment of what God said would happen. 
and that God would now send him to Gentile people, which were non-Jewish people. Here's how Paul describes this gospel that he preached to these Gentile people in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. Note these words. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you believed in vain. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. One, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Two, that he was buried. Three, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Four, and that he appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep, died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me, also as to one abnormally born. He appeared, he appeared, he appeared. Jesus, the resurrected Christ, showed himself true so that the message that they would speak would be based on evidence, undeniable evidence that Jesus had raised from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he can offer life. The point is this. The gospel message must center on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ or it's not the gospel. That's where it needs to center. On the death and the resurrection of Jesus. If there's no cross, then there's no gospel. John Piper's written a book called God is the Gospel. And in there he says this. The king must die before he reigns. Otherwise, the justice of his reign would only bring judgment and not salvation. You can see that it would fall short. If Christ is not the one who conquers death, then there's no way that he can offer life. If he is not the one who has conquered sin, on the cross, the enemy of humanity, the consequence of sin, Satan himself, if he has not gone through that process, then what does he have to offer? And might I add, What does anyone or any system of belief have to offer if they haven't conquered the greatest enemy to humanity? Our own sin problem. Our enemy, Satan, who's behind our sin problem. The structure of this world that just aims towards sin. And Jesus comes to say, I took care of it on the cross. I defeated sin. I defeated Satan at the cross when he rose to life again. So that has to be central in our message. Because if there's no cross, there's no salvation. If there's no salvation, there's no good news. Paul goes on to say this in 1 Corinthians 2. So it was with me, brothers and sisters, that when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. Excuse me, I apologize. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Do you see the centrality of that message? It's Christ and Christ crucified. I came to you as weak, uh, in weakness, with great fear and trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on on God's power. Listen, you guys, I don't think we understand the power of the gospel enough. I think we are way too light on understanding the transformative work of Jesus Christ in our hearts and lives when he comes into our lives. He changes us. The power of the gospel. 
So why do we share this with others? Because they too need to experience this incredible experience. Once they put their faith in Jesus Christ, they come alive in Christ and they enter into God's family. Paul said in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. All that part means is that the Messiah came first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We are the ones who carry this message. We are the ones who are to share it and pass it along. The gospel is good news. I shared with you that the vision of our church was to be a loving, just, visible, transformative presence in our local community and world. Part of the shoeboxes, in a way, is about having a presence in our world. It's the least one thing we can do. Local community. You're going to be hearing later on about how we can partner with Ruth and Naomi's this Christmas. What I've done is I've put together a one-year vision statement that I brought to our leadership team. I also shared these four bullet points with you on the last sermon that I spoke in September before we went away to Egypt and Israel. I said that our one-year vision is to see our church come alive because we got involved in our community and met people far from Jesus. I have four goals. One, develop an increased dependency on the Spirit through prayer. Two, get individuals in our church into and involved in our community to connect with unchurched people. Three, develop significant relationships with people who are far from Jesus. And four, invite non-churched people to meet Jesus. Those are the four goals. But with anything, you can look at and go, okay, yeah, how, how is this all going to work? And I don't really know, but I've done my best to try to put some practical things down that maybe you and I and we together can do that would move us towards seeing the transformative work of Christ happening in the life of our church and in our community through this church family. So under that first goal of developing an increased dependency on the Spirit through prayer, so really seeking God to do His work, I'm asking you to consider committing to praying each day for God's Spirit to transform lives in and through the life of this church family. You can pray one minute, or you can pray ten, or you can pray an hour. I just want to encourage you to consider, could you commit to praying every day that God would do that work here? Secondly, you can participate in our monthly day of prayer and fasting, which always happens on the first Monday of the month. We always post on our website the focus, some prayer requests, that you can pray and you can do it in whatever way works for you. You can join us for our, I put praise and prayer, but it's, it's um, uh, worship and prayer night. And tonight is one of those at 6.30. Come on out for that. You don't have to pray. You don't have to utter one word. If you are a person who says, Rod, I don't pray in public and I don't, you know, I don't do that, that's okay. Your very presence is a collective representative witness that we are seeking God together. So come on out tonight at 6.30. I promise you, we won't make you pray if you don't want to. You don't have to. But let's seek God And let's have a visual demonstration, a visible demonstration of our presence before his throne, asking him to do what only he can do. You can sign up to receive our weekly prayer updates that Alex sends out from our office every week. And then I'm inviting people to consider what I'm calling the My Three list, three personal connections that you have of people that you'll begin to pray for that you're going to intend to invite to come to Alpha in January. So those are very specific things that you can do. And I'm going to post all this. It'll go out in our weekly email. The second one, um, get individuals in our church family involved in our community. We're trying to find avenues. You're out in our community every day, so on a personal level, you're making your connections. You have your neighbors, your friends, the people you hang out with. Uh, We have collective 
opportunities that you can be a part of, and we'll be talking more about that. Um, our church made a donation for a swing set to be put in next door, and now they're looking for volunteers to put a swing set in the ground. So if you're the kind of person who likes to dig a hole, uh, come and talk to me. In December, there's Salvation Army. You can ring a bell at the kettle. You can help the packing party for the hampers um, or whatever else we're going to be doing for Ruth and Naomi. So there's, there's various ways that we can collectively get into our community. The third goal, <clears throat> this one is about the fact that it's hard sometimes to know how to develop that relationship. And so we're going to do a three-part seminar on Sunday evenings on November 5th, 12th, and 19th, uh, 6.30 to 8 o'clock, and it's going to be just talking about the subject matter of the morning in, in the sermons. We're going to be talking about that, and if you want to learn more around that, how, how do I engage a neighbor who I'm trying to reach, but I can never share Christ with them? Um, maybe you are wondering, how do I make friends? Uh, there's a book, it's called The Art of Neighboring, Building Genuine Relationships Right Outside Your Door. It's a great book, good read. The last goal here is about inviting, um, looking at the people that God places in our life and saying, where could I invite them? Maybe you want to help us by serving at Alpha, which then if we have our Alpha, which we're planning to run in January, then you can invite a friend to Alpha and participate with them. Don't just send them, come with them. Come with your friend that they might know someone else in that circle. And then uh, you can invite a friend to anything that's going on. You can invite them to youth. You can invite them to Sardis Kids. You can invite them to prime time. You can invite them to any of the men's and women's and various activities. So those are just some practical ways in which we can be involved in seeking God to share the gospel. I'll end with this, which I'm sure you're thankful. It's been a lot of information. We don't do this on our own. We do this by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Christ invites us into it. And here's the passage that I want to use. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and, what? Gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Are you hearing those words? He gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he is committed to who? He's committed to us, the message of reconciliation, therefore... We are Christ's ambassadors. No, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Amen? Let's pray. Father in heaven, you have given us this ministry, but it's really hard. I would pray that you would stir in our hearts in the right way to lead us to know what it is that you're asking us to do that we wouldn't run from you, but rather we would run toward you in what you're asking, and that we would find that great joy, just like fishing, where it's very exciting to be a part of helping someone else find Jesus. Lord, help us to understand, help us to experience firsthand the joy of being a link in the chain of someone who comes to faith in Christ. We want to be true to the word of God, your word. We want to be true to the vision you've given us. Lord, by your spirit, do your work of transformation amongst us. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you for joining us today and you can join us tonight at 6.30 if you want to come out and pray together, even by your presence. So God bless you and go with his peace. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.